historically, when somebody has been, say, unfaithful, how, how do we how do we communicate with the person who's been hurt or betrayed in this case? What are they experiencing? And, and so if we look at it from a mental health perspective, we say, well, are they more anxious? Yeah. Could they be more depressed? Sure, they could be. Is, is it situational or is it more long lasting than something that's a short term experience? So we have to stop and say, what are the traits? What are the manifestations of being betrayed? What are the, if I was, um, as I am a clinician, I'd say, what are the experiences that they are having? If I've been betrayed, what are you going through? So actually the healing process is actually being able to understand what you're experiencing. And first, that you're not going crazy. What you are experiencing is extremely normal. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, today we are introducing you to therapist and author, Dr. Kevin Skinner. Dr. Skinner is a leader and authority on sexual compulsive behavior, infidelity, and trauma from sexual betrayal. He's also the co-founder of the free online course communities, Bloom and Path. Bloom supports those healing from the trauma of infidelity and betrayal, and Path provides specialized empathetic and compassionate support for those overcoming unwanted sexual behaviors and those wanting to repair damaged relationships. Lindsay and I had a really incredibly frank and illuminating conversation about the effects of betrayal trauma on individuals. We also talked through some of the ways to show up for the people in our lives who are walking through this type of experience and trauma and some of the resources that might be helpful. I'm grateful for Dr. Skinner for his wisdom, his expertise, and the time he gave us to talk through this topic. Without further ado, meet our new friend, Dr. Kevin Skinner. We're so excited to talk to you and learn a little bit more about you and what you do and just who you are. Will you tell just the audience a little bit about what you do? And then I'd love to like hear more about how you got into the work that you're in. Yeah. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, I've been practicing. It's hard to believe, but for I'm working on my 27th year. <laughs> Very impressive. I had the privilege of working with uh, tens, literally uh, 25, 30,000 hours of therapy in my career. And what really has stood out to me is we really are struggling in relationships and struggling to connect, uh, struggling to deal with infidelity, which is something that I've specialized in, infidelity, betrayal, trauma. And one of the interesting things that I've found is we just don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. You know, we say things, you know, oh, well, I would leave this person or I do this or I do that. But, but we really, you know, how do you support somebody who's been through that, that form of betrayal? And then, and then what are they experiencing? And I think that those who've been betrayed are often misunderstood and not, not feeling heard or validated in some of their pain. Yeah. Why do you think that relationships are struggling? Like, is this a pandemic thing? I mean, I, th- I think we hear kind of internally at Onsite that things feel heightened right now, in, both in relationships and people's interpersonal uh, life. But uh, what is the cause well, I, I would start off maybe even a little bit before that. I think we as a society have struggled in relationships for a long time. Uh, I, I mean, I, I often say uh, in groups I teach, on a scale of between zero and 10, 
how effective were your parents at teaching you how to be in a committed relationship? How effective their role model were they? Were they good role models? Did they teach you how to treat each other through the way they interacted with each other? And if you give yourself a score between zero and ten, more often than not, I get answers that are below five. And I do this. I've done it around the world with the trainings that I've done. And more often than not, you know, we're seeing twos and threes, and a lot of people it's a zero, right? My parents didn't give me the model, so. Then really the question is, if you didn't see it, where did you learn? Yeah. And the answer may be media. It could be my friends. It could be a lot of different things that are probably not giving you a healthy vision, right? Yeah. So if you don't know how to do something, we get in relationships. Whether we get married or not, we get in committed relationships. That's just statistically what most people do. But that does not mean that we have the model of how to be relational and we don't necessarily know how to resolve conflict, how to work through problems. So if you look at it from that perspective, it's hard to do what you don't know. And and then you add on top of that something like a pandemic and anxiety and financial stress and children. And you add all of that combined and say, oh, yeah, now go be married and be happily ever after. That's what we learned in Disney. Yeah, right. Right. And I think a lot of times we when we think of the model of relationships. We don't often think about infidelity, but from your seat, how often is this happening? I think it is more prevalent than a lot of us are talking about or acknowledging, right? Well, we're shifting to a society where we almost have to define infidelity. Yeah. How how have you kind of defined it in your work? Well, and and it's it's a betrayal of of what we had agreed upon. Okay. Right. And, and, And let me just give a couple examples. So I supervise clinicians around the country and you know, they'll come to me with a case where people are having an open relationship, right? And, and, and in that case, they've agreed that the other person or together, they can be sexual with other people. Nevertheless, even in those cases, if I have a secret, if I'm hiding my behaviors, and that's really where I get to the crux of this, if I'm hiding my behaviors and it's secretive sexual acts, then I'm going to suggest that that is infidelity. That is a form of betrayal. Because I, I said one thing and I'm actually doing something else. Yeah. So it isn't just where a lot of people would define it black or white. It is an agreed upon trust. So that trust is broken. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And and again, we can go across the board in many things. I mean, I've talked with people who say, you know, you're hiding your pornography use and that secret hurts me. Now, we might not call that infidelity, but it still is a sexual betrayal or form of sexual betrayal if we don't, haven't really openly discussed it and I feel threatened by it. So, so again, we're going back to the dynamics, the communication, what we've agreed upon and what we maybe have never talked about. And then, you know, a lot of people say, well, okay, I, I didn't know, but I don't want that in our relationship. And, and now if I have secrets or hidden behaviors, that's when we really start to see the relationship being impacted. And, and most people that are experienced betrayal, how, how are they finding out about it? Is it that they are like following suspicions or that somebody's confessed to something? And how does how they found out about the betrayal affect their outcomes? You can look at the a variety of ways of discovery. I'm not sure it necessarily matters as much as the shock and all of that. I think it's it influences them in multiple ways. But first and foremost, I think the safety in the relationship is 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 reevaluated. Am I safe with you? Are you going to be committed to me? Because uh, I now I'm questioning that commitment, and then I'm more likely to put on my natural defenses 
because I can't determine safety with you. And I'm, when I say safety, I'm not talking physical safety. I'm talking emotional safety. Can I be vulnerable with you? Can I share my thoughts and feelings with you? And that's where the rupture really is significant because now I can't read. Are, are, are we on the same page or not? Are you going to leave me or not? Mm. And you've used the word betrayal trauma quite a few times. And I know that's what you specialize in. I feel like there is a hesitancy or maybe even some people who have been in this situation wouldn't label it as trauma. So what does betrayal trauma look like and how is it um, similar to other types of trauma? So let's start off with why I use that word, uh, because historically, when somebody has been, say, unfaithful, how do we how do we communicate with the person who's been uh, hurt or betrayed in this case? What, 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 are, we, what are they experiencing? And, and so if we look at it from a mental health perspective, we say, well, are they more anxious? Yeah. Could they be more depressed? Sure, they could be. Uh, is, is it situational or is it more long lasting than something that's a short term experience? So we have to stop and say, what are the traits? What are the manifestations of being betrayed? What are the if I was, um, as I am a clinician, I'd say, what are the experiences that they are having? If I've been betrayed, what are you going through? And now let me walk you through some of the most common responses. So let's just say, for example, I have nightmares. I, I keep replaying in my mind what I, you know, that phone call that night or, or seeing on your phone that somebody said, hey, sexy, you want to meet up again tonight, right? And, and now I'm replaying that experience, and, but I'm not just replaying it. I'm, I'm envisioning this, this rendezvous at the hotel and I'm envisioning what you, that you told me you were on a business trip. In reality, you weren't on a business trip. And so now I'm replaying it mentally, cognitively. And, and so I'm, uh, what we would say is I'm reliving the experience. That's a very yeah. common outcome of someone who's been betrayed. The other elements, we start to avoid people. We avoid places. I don't, I don't want to go out in public because it triggers me. I mean, I'm afraid that you're looking here or you're doing this. I don't want to be around friends or family because I'm embarrassed. That I'm afraid that they're going to find out that you've been lying and cheating and deceiving me. So now I start to avoid people and places that remind me of what you did. And I'm also avoiding my own emotions. I'm numbing out. I don't like to feel this way because my mind is racing. Right? I'm, 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 I'm hypervigilant, a term we use for I'm thinking about what you did over and over and replaying it in my mind. So that, that's another common manifestation after betrayal. And then if we move on, we say, well, what have you come to believe about yourself as a result of the betrayal? Mm-hmm. Well, am I not enough? Is there something wrong with me? Am I unlovable? And you start to see that I internalize this betrayal in the sense of I'm not enough. And, and, maybe, and maybe the world's not a safe place because lo and behold, you actually had sex with my best friend. And now I don't not only just trust you, but I don't, I don't trust my friend. And so now who is a safe person? Who can I trust? Right. And so now, now the world doesn't feel safe. So the people that are living with this trauma that they've either know or suspect that they've been betrayed in their most intimate relationships or relationships, what, what do they do? Like, what is a good starting place to begin to like start the process that eventually would lead to healing? I think to answer that question, we have to understand the symptoms that we were just describing. Yeah. Right. Because, because those are the manifestations. And, and by the way, I, I mean, I just covered three of the four core criteria of post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Right. So if, if we look at that, 
a majority, and, and this is across the board that we're finding in the research, I have over 20,000 people who've taken an assessment that I created and over 70% of them are, are experiencing the symptoms I just outlined. The, the other one is they're angrier than they've ever been. They can't get their mind to rumination. They can't stop thinking about it. Sometimes they're so depressed or anxious that they think about self-harm. And so those are the symptoms. So actually the healing process is actually being able to understand what you're experiencing. And first, that you're not going crazy. What you are experiencing is extremely normal. Because sometimes we, we judge our own emotions. I, you know, I should be over this by now. Why, why can't I just move on? And why can't we just get over this? And we often hear the person who's been unfaithful say, well, why can't we just move on? I said I was sorry. Yeah. But I'm sorry often shuts down the conversation. It, and we don't ask the important question, like, why did this happen? And how do we prevent it from happening again? So I think we have to, to answer your question, Lindsay, if we're going to start the healing process, I think we have to understand what we're actually dealing with. And we almost have to normalize the response. Now I would imagine feel pretty lonely in it, right? Like they, whether or not they choose to stay or whether they, whether or not in, you know, work towards reconciliation or whether or not they choose to leave, I would imagine a makeup that it's a really lonely place to be because they don't know, you know, at the beginning of that. And I think also people probably don't respond in the best way. How, how can people's response also contribute to this trauma that they're experiencing? Well, let me share a story with you that would make, you know, illustrate this concept. I, I think uh, if we were to look at some of the responses that I've had as a clinician, you know, a best friend saying, well, you, you need to leave the bum. A, a parent saying, well, you know, men, men are just that way. A religious leader saying, well, if you just had more sex, maybe they wouldn't do this. And a mom, I, in one case, she said, well, you know how you are, right? And, and so, so people respond in a way almost like, well, of course, this is what happens in our society. We are unfaithful. And, and that's kind of what you should expect. It, it, that does not take away the pain of the experience, that, that sense of I have been hurt in this committed relationship. And so as a society, if we were really to respond, we would actually say, help me understand what you are experiencing. Because I, I can't assume that I understand what you are experiencing. So help me understand what you've been experiencing, what you're going through, so I can support you. It kind of sounds like we've normalized the infidelity and not normalized the response on the other end of that. Right. Or we've normalized that infidelity is happening. Let's fix that problem, not actually care for the person that's been wounded or betrayed. Right. And that's, that's where I think we've really had a problem because I've talked with many betrayed partners and they often say, I don't feel understood. I feel like nobody really understands what I'm going through. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier about loneliness. If I, if I reach out and somebody says, you know, it's just a common thing. I, you know, you really shouldn't expect fidelity. Oh, okay. Okay. I guess I shouldn't, but, but that doesn't feel that way to me. It hurts. Yeah. But you shouldn't hurt. I mean, in essence, that's what's being said, which makes no sense when, when the most committed attached relationship is, is, is there's a breach or a broken trust. Well, we know from the attachment lens that it creates relationship conflict and problems. And internally, it creates a lot of physiological problems. Say more about that. Well, okay. What happens to the body in heightened stress, right? So, so what we understand is when you're under high levels of stress, you don't sleep as well. Your mind is racing. And you can't get these thoughts and images out of your mind. And even if you do fall asleep, you wake up in a jolt because you've had a nightmare, which is a very common response. 
So now I'm not sleeping as much. I'm stressed. I still have to carry out my regular duties and my primary relationship I can't turn to for support. So physiologically, my body is under this constant state of stress, which means my body's not digesting food, which means I'm more likely to feel bloated and to get irritable bowel syndrome. And other than that, your body's just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, your body's just fine. Working great. Yeah. And I think we talk a lot at onsite about that mind-body connection and how much like we hold stress in our bodies, even if we're not acknowledging it and living in that heightened state for such a prolonged period. I mean, it does start to things that we think are just physical have those deep roots into mental. So that's really, that's funny. What is the different kind of support that someone might need in both sides of that equation, whether the person who betrayed or the betrayer? So what's the different support? First and foremost, the person who's betraying their partner, we have to understand what, what they're experiencing. Like, for example, uh, let's say that it's not just one person, that, but let's say that I've hired uh, 50 sex workers or that I've had random hookups. I'm, I'm, I'm having these random hookups and, and I'm putting myself at risk, risk for getting an STD or STI, right? So, so is, it, is it a one-time situation or is there a history of sexual betrayal or infidelity? So in order for us to truly understand what we're dealing with, we have to understand the story of the person who's betraying their partner. And, and so... To answer your question, I don't think we can answer that question without that kind of information, understanding the real story of what's going on in the background. Now, some people have truly, I believe, sexual compulsivity, right? I mean, and they're, and it's manifesting in the chaos of their sexuality. And that's the way I often say it. You know, a lot of whether we use the word sex addiction or sexual compulsivity or hypersexuality does not matter to me what language you use there. But what does matter is do I feel out of control? Do I, am I taking so many risks that I could lose my job? I could lose my wife, children, family, right? The respect in my community. So that's, that's one case we have to look at. Now, in contrast with, I had a, an affair with the secretary at work because we worked close together and we were whatever it may be, or, you know, whatever. My boss, I had, a, had an affair with my boss, whatever it may be, right? A, a one-time scenario versus a, a longer history of sexual activity. So, we have to assess and really understand what we're dealing with before any treatment or intervention would, would be effective. Let's say, you know, it's just a one-time experience. I'm certainly not going to say that sexual compulsivity, but once you start, you know, getting to the point where it's been 50 people this year and it's one a week and right. And, and now I'm starting to escalate my sexuality and it's, it's creating chaos. Now we've got more of, well, okay. If I was an alcoholic, am I drunk all the time? So that's part, you know, the treatment there. And that encompasses a whole lot of uh, awareness and understanding. Sometimes and often individuals who are acting out sexually, they have their own trauma history. And so we have to understand what they've been through and their experiences. And then in, in the treatment of betrayal, of being betrayed, you have to understand, as I said earlier, the PTSD symptoms, often group supports effective, and then you help reduce those symptoms. And then we have to ask the question, what about the relationship? So really, you've got three different clients. Yeah. You've got the person who's been unfaithful. You've got the person who's been betrayed. And then you have the relationship. Hey, friends, if you've been listening to the podcast for very long, you have heard us talk about our digital classes and courses. But what you may not know is that we are now offering our classes and courses in a brand new platform. This new platform is easy to use, it's more interactive, and it comes with access to our incredible beta community, where you can meet like-minded people, talk about your emotional health journey, and find an incredible amount of emotional and mental health resources. 
I love these resources and they have been a game changer for me in my emotional and mental health. At OnSite, we often say that emotional health is not just something we need, it's something we all deserve. But putting that into practice can be easier said than done. I know in my own life, I love the accessibility, the affordability, and the approachability of what digital offers. So I encourage you to check out our digital classes and our courses at onsiteisonline.com. And I'd love to see you in the community. So head to the checkout and make sure to use the code podcast to get 15% off your entire purchase. And I assume that it takes time and a lot of time and skill for somebody to begin to be truly honest, for the Mm -hmm. betrayer to be truly honest with themselves and then with their partner. And so that's not like a lot of times sort of as you're walking into this betrayal trauma, you think it's one thing and then you realize it's this whole other thing underneath it. Mm. And, And so I'm imagining that's not a quick process and that, it, a lot of courage and honesty is required to really dive in and do that work. How, what is like necessary for somebody that has betrayed their partner? Like what is necessary for them to be successful in sort of beginning this journey and doing the work? So I really like uh, some of the work of Dr. James Prochaska talk about changing for good. And we look at the process in, in the beginning. If I'm not, I might even be aware of of the extent of my behavior, what he would refer to as the pre-contemplation. I don't really see it as a problem. You know, whatever my behavior is, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, But but then when I start to look at the aftermath, uh, maybe I've been on this long river called denial and I'm I'm not, (laughs) right. And I'm not looking at how my behaviors influence other people. My life has become so chaotic that I I don't really see it. And in that situation, you then transition of, of an awareness, like, okay, there is a problem and I need more support and I need more help and I need to be aware of that. So that, that process there is really starts with what they refer to as the contemplation stage where you need the awareness of, wait, there, there is a potential problem. And, and ultimately, then you have to prepare to make changes and, and, and whatever those changes are. So really, we get the insight, we have the awareness that there's a problem. And then we prepare to make changes. And that takes time, that preparation. Like you said, the extent of the problem, we have to assess and understand it. And maybe some of the drivers, maybe I've got ADHD and and my sexual behavior is just, you know, my next high. And so there's maybe some common issues like ADHD and my sexual behavior that I'm dealing with both of them. And I might also have a substance use issue. So It's not as simple as what I'm hearing you say. No, no, that's just it. I mean, often we think about infidelity and we think, oh, it's, you know, you just helped a couple work through the affair or sexual behavior. No, no, no. There's much more to this story. And and I think that's a part of the problem. I think we're under evaluating the problem and we're just treating it as an affair when in reality, there's a whole lot of other things that are going on. Yeah. So I think as someone who is in a committed relationship, I have people in my life and If someone were to come to me, I think not having had that experience of betrayal to that extent, how do I hold space for them? What are some of the things that say, like, I shouldn't say this or I should say this or that would communicate, like, I'm a safe space for this, whether or not I have that experience or not? Because I I believe, like, maybe someone has the the belief that if I have an experience that I can't be there for someone. So I think maybe the most important part is that we're just uh, deep listeners. 
I'm not, I don't have to solve a problem. I, more than anything, I'm trying to understand what, what you're experiencing. And to me, that is really the answer here. I, I, I think far too often we think somehow we have to provide a solution. And, and really, maybe it's actually more in the question, the art of the question. I, I, I don't necessarily know what to say, but I, I'm more than willing to listen so I can understand what you are experiencing. And, and I think if we can get out of the solution mindset, because I think solution means that we're trying to solve it and then we're trying to help, when in reality, it might be just the opposite. We're trying to listen and understand. And I think if we listen and understand first, it's going to be much more effective because as they speak, uh, they're going to be able to give a language to their pain and their suffering. And, and, and that's much more effective. I recently walked through a betrayal trauma with a friend. And when I did that, I talked to another friend that had experienced betrayal trauma and I asked advice. I'm like, what is something that you wish that your friends had done to support you. And she said, I wish that my friends had really reminded me that I could trust my instincts. She said that so much of what was stripped away in her experience and the trauma was that she couldn't trust her instincts and that sort of learning to trust them again and navigate the, this and become more self-reliant was like a really important thing for her. And so as I walked my other friend through it, I, there were several opportunities where she would like ask for advice. And I'm like, what do you think? You know, like, what do you think the right thing is to do? And tried to sort of utilize that advice of like, how can I just create space for her learning that? But it was such good counsel because it was times where she was directly asking for advice where I had an opinion I could give it, but really sort of putting it back on like, how, how can I be a better listener and help ask questions that will get you to the answers that you need was really helpful. That's a, that's a great way to do that in my mind. Uh, a friend once said, to ask is to teach, to tell is to preach. <laughs> and I often think like with this topic and other topics that feel really big or scary or uncomfortable, I think if we're uncomfortable, we can lean more into that helping um, out of a sense of like, I feel helpless in this and I want to just fix it for you. Or I want to help you get to a solution because I'm uncomfortable and I want to get you like, you know, I'm uncomfortable with your emotions that you're sharing. And so I think it's being honest with ourselves of, can I actually enter into this in a space where I'm open and willing to ask the questions and willing to listen and willing to let them share their experience or say like, Hey, this makes me really scared and uncomfortable. And I want to show up better for you. And even just calling it out, I think I I've been in situations where I've been like, I feel clumsy in this. How do we do well, it? You know? And a, and a common parallel is when someone's lost a loved one to death. Right? I mean, sometimes we say stupid things because we don't necessarily know. Right? What, what do we say? And so our own uncomfort or discomfort with this experience. And so that means really we at times need to check our own emotions. We need to check our own thoughts. And then I like the way you said that. You know, I, I don't know necessarily what to say here. I, I am clumsy. I think that that acknowledgement, that vulnerability is a very powerful component of this journey together of, of what we're trying to create here. We're trying to create an experience where together we can share thoughts and ideas without feeling judged or misunderstood or, or being told what to do. Sometimes it's just an expression that we figure out how to respond. Yeah. I know it can be hard to find great therapists that are skilled in handling betrayal trauma. I think sometimes people obviously list their credentials on their website, 
But sometimes all you have for a therapist is a number. Is it appropriate to like ask a therapist about their training in these specialties and their degree of comfortability with it? Yeah. What's been your experience? I mean, if, you're, if I'm a consumer, what's been your experience in treating infidelity and sexual, you know, behaviors in, outside the relationship? And and yes, the, the reason why is because we live in a culture today. I mean, if I was going, if I had diabetes, I would probably wouldn't be going to a doctor who doesn't specialize in treating that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can go to a general practitioner who's going to give me some general advice, but with things that are as critical as this, I want somebody who has understanding and awareness because, I mean, it's it's not something that you can take lightly. And quite frankly, I've worked with people who've ther- whose therapists have actually traumatized them. And not knowing what to do and how to handle it. Just to give an example of that, I I've, I've was recently, I was supervising somebody who had been, their, their client had been to a therapist. And the therapist said, you know, I, I really think that you need to look in the mirror because I think the reason why your partner cheated was because of, and, and, and went on to list her, her behaviors. And, and, you know, you're outspoken, you don't listen. And I think that, right. And so, so now I'm, I'm being blamed for, for this infidelity and, and that, that kind of, look, I may have contributed, but I'll tell you what, I can never make somebody cheat on me. That's a personal decision. Now there's a whole host of other reasons, but to blame the person who's been betrayed, I think is is really not a great starting point. That's awful. And I really appreciate you laying that out. I think what I hear you say is finding someone who specializes, who knows what this is and finding some, like if the one person's not right, go to another someone else. You also mentioned group work. And then we've talked about, you know, if you're in a relationship, there's the person who did the betrayal. There's the person who was betrayed and then there's the couple. And so what is your advice for all the different modalities and ways that you could kind of come at this, what would be your ideal situation for someone with, you know, the betrayer have their own therapist, the betrayer would have their therapist. You might have a group, like what would be the team that could come around side them? I I think the best answer to the question, I go back to a question. I I think before we can assess, we have to understand. So, so I want to understand all of the components as much as possible. So I use assessments or standardized assessments to evaluate what's really happening. Like, for example, I'll administer an assessment for the person who's been sexually acting out just to understand their sexual history. Once I've gathered sexual history, I understand the betrayed partners, the level of trauma, their life stories, including what we call adverse childhood experiences and assessing you know, their, their history of, of adver- adversity in life. And then looking at the relationship dynamics. Just because a person's been unfaithful doesn't mean that we shouldn't look for other elements like is there potential for domestic violence or, or what we refer to as intimate justice, social, right? Intimate violence in the relationship, right? You can stop and reflect on those things and say, wait, it's not just the sexual betrayal. I mean, they, they have unhealthy relationship patterns that are potentially emotionally and verbally abusive. And, and so if I'm going to do couples work, I have to assess all of those components. And, and there are times where, I, I'm going to separate them because they're not prepared to do couples work. It's premature. Yeah. Now, when I say couples work, where we're repairing the relationship, we still need to have relationship guidelines. And I think a therapist needs to give them some structure on how to interact because it's not like they're not interacting, but how to do so with structure as we work on our individual issues. I think I have one other question as we're talking about some of the different parties involved in this situation, what about if someone is in a committed relationship that also involves children? How do you support children through this process and this betrayal trauma? Because I would assume that they would have kind of their own sense of betrayal trauma too. 
Well, and part of that depends on how much they're aware of. I mean, did the child walk in and see something or the, did the child see a phone or did the child, whatever. So we have to understand the child's exposure. And, and really, we, we want to help the children understand from not a ground level view because they don't need all the details, but they're yeah. sensing parental stress. They're, they're, they're in, you know, they're not blind to what their parents, the dynamics. So they're observing. There's a time where as, as we help the children, um, commu- where there's communication, where the parents um, recognize, look, mom and dad are having some difficulties right now. And obviously we have to understand the age of the children. I mean, there, this is, yeah. a, that's a very complex question. A teenager is different than a six-year-old and is different than a, a newly born child versus a, an adult child, right? Yeah. So that's part of the journey here as well as we have to understand the age and age appropriate content. And I, I mean, just to generally answer your question, I'm going to suggest that uh, teenagers, they need uh, probably a, a five or 10,000 foot view of what's going on. None, no children, I think, need the granular day. You know, you, all the all of the details, but but they do need to know if there's been something that's creating the conflict. You know, mom cheated on dad, and you know th- th- we're trying to figure out how to make sense of this and what we're going to do moving forward. Right now, we don't have enough information because we're trying to make sense of this car accident ourselves, right? So there is that kind of communication. That, but I, you know, I could also harm my children there. You know, your mom did this, your mom was this, your mom's, you know, you know she's just sleeping around. Your mom's a slut, your mom's this, your, you know, your dad's a, you know, whatever term we want to use, he's a player and you can't trust him. And if I start to turn, try to turn the children against the other parent, I'm actually harming the child in a profound way. So, so I want to leave the children out of this because I don't want to harm my own child. However, if the child has information, they have questions, um, we begin to answer the questions the best we can. Again, not from a you know a, a granular level of of the exact things that mom or dad did, but more of there has been uh, unfaithful, and this is what that means, and we're trying to make sense of it. Yeah, I can hear your passion for this topic and making sure that people get the support and the care that they need to have better outcomes and better health, both personally and in their relationships. Where did this passion come from for you? You know, it started with my own failure. Um, I had gone to graduate school uh, in Nebraska. I came uh, here to where I re- live uh, in Utah, and I got my PhD, and I was uh, in, in private practice after I'd graduated. And I had a situation where a couple came to me. Uh, in particular, the husband had, had been wanting to stop an unwanted sexual behavior. His wife uh, knew a little bit about it, but not much. And uh, she discovered something, and it put her into a deep, profound trauma. And when she came in, I had no idea. I had a PhD and I, I had no idea how to deal with the intensity of what she was experiencing. And, and uh, since that time, I've, I, you know, I've come to the conclusion that it is, it's post-traumatic stress and she was exhibiting all the symptoms. I just didn't understand it at that time. And so from that experience, and truly I would say it was, it, I had failed. I did not understand because I hadn't been trained. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, and so I, at that time, I, I committed to understand more. I started doing research. Uh, since that time, I've written an assessment that looks at that. It's been published in a professional journal that looks at the influence of infidelity and sexual betrayal. And, and so it's an assessment that assesses for the PTSD symptoms. And, and so that's been, you know, that's been well over 15 years ago. Uh, and, and, you know, I've written a book on it, uh, Treating Trauma from Sexual Betrayal. 
Um, and we have web support, Bloom for Women, that are all support of things that I've learned through the years in working and researching with over 20,000 people. Wow. Great resources and so glad that you're there because I know that a lot of people are and a lot of relationships are struggling right now and that uh, I want us to be better friends and allies to the people that we know that are experiencing this. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's so needed. I would love to hear a little bit about what you're doing in your role to continue to support therapists and facilitate opportunities for people to get this continual support. What does that look like from your seat? Well, thank you for this opportunity. Let me just just tell you, uh, first and foremost, I believe that most people go online before they go to a therapist. I'm more likely to get online. and, And so what we found is we need to meet people where their questions are online. So we created uh, Bloom for Women and Path for Men just to support and under, help them understand what they're experiencing. Uh, it, it, what that really means is when people get online, they have a, a trusted resource that they can they can turn to. We've had literally people from all over the world be a part of our website. They've participated in some of our groups and gone through our free educational content. And, and uh, just the other day, I had a, just a tender experience. Um, one of our clinicians here at our office, there was a note on my uh, car and it said, from a, it was written by the therapist and the therapist said, I just met with a client and uh, she said during the pandemic, something to this effect, um, your website saved my life mm. because I didn't understand what I was going through. And I, and finally there was a voice that made sense to me of the symptoms that I was experiencing. And I just wanted to let you know that this saved my life at that time. And it's those kind of tender experiences where you're like, okay, maybe maybe meeting people online, Not what I mean by that is they're getting online, looking for information, meeting them with that information that makes sense to them. And, and that's really the goal that we have. That's awesome. Thanks so much for the work that you're doing. And thanks for chatting with us. I feel like this conversation has been really applicable and kind of making sense of something that feels really scary and foreign. And so I'm just really grateful for the way that you're showing up in the world and doing the work. Well, and thanks for what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, when you interview therapists, uh, you're really giving the opportunity for people to learn more. And, and, and again, meeting people online, helping educate them. So thanks for what you're doing as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.